Thank you for downloading or podcasting this track. This recording has been remastered to provide the best sound possible given the audio environment of the original recording session. Mosaic Silver Spring is a faith community located just inside the Capitol Beltway in Montgomery County. For more information, please visit our website, www.mosaicsilverspring.org, and we'll see you in the neighborhood. Okay, so now I'll read the scripture, which is Genesis 15, 1 to 21, which is on page 4 of the worship guide, and also um, behind me. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, Behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. This is the word of the Lord. Um, join me as we pray um, uh, in preparation for the sermon. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your covenants and that you showed grace and mercy even when we were asleep and unaware. Um, we pray that your grace and mercy would give us the power to also show grace and mercy towards others and that um, the words that Joel speaks today would um, fall on open minds and hearts, and that um, you would um, give us a love for your word. Um, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much, Elaine. I would encourage you as we go through to, uh, if you have Bibles with you, to keep them open to Genesis 15, as I will refer back during the sermon 
Uh, if you don't have a Bible um, or you don't have a printed Bible that you use regularly, but you think that'd be helpful, we have Bibles available at the back. Please pick one up. Uh, it's our gift to you, uh, and we hope it would be an encouragement to uh, open and to read and consider God's Word. Uh, recently, Stephanie and I were able to go out on a date with friends, and uh, just uh, the part of going out uh, on a date uh, with your wife and with other friends is fantastic, and I would strongly recommend it. But uh, the part uh, for any of us, whether uh, you're married or single, uh, whether you are uh, dating regularly or not, a part of just getting to know people is a rehearsing of your own story. And so on this day, we were enjoying a great meal here locally, and we got to rehearse our story an integral to our story as a married couple and how we're here now, like 20 years down the road, is the define the relationship conversation that we had in the very early months. Now, when I was in college, and I won't tell you when, and this probably is going to date myself, but that's okay, we called it the DTR, the define the relationship conversation. And, uh, and a part of that is uh, coming together to just figure out what is it that we're doing with the time that we are spending together. And for Stephanie, that be and I, that became this integral part to uh, our own story and relationship. Now, in the book of Genesis, it, it doesn't function entirely this way. But there is a major portion of the book of Genesis, and I would say uh, its strongest emphasis is on God's defining his relationship with his people. And so in the book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible, there are all sorts of questions. How did we get here? How did the world get here? Uh, who uh, are, are we supposed to connect with? What is our purpose? And these are important and valuable questions. But some of the most significant chapters, some of uh, the most dedicated sections of the book of Genesis are dedicated to God clarifying, defining, making clear for all his relationship to his people. And so while Genesis is unabashedly announcing this amazing God and all-knowing, all-powerful, good, and loving God who created the world that we live in and created us as human beings as the capstone of that and as image bearers and as valuable, it goes further. We get a sense of God's character. We get a sense of uh, God and who he is and how he relates to us. God closes this gap from being uh, the all-knowing, all-powerful, good, and loving God who created the world to being our God, to being related to us or directly connected to us. And he does this through something called covenants. And so in the weeks ahead, we are going to look at how covenants, the defining of God's relationship with his people, how that looks, how it looks like uh, in when it's initiated by God himself, uh, how it looks and has an impact on the community as a whole, what that means for the children in a given community, 
What are the commands or weight that come with the community? What are the blessings and curses? In the weeks ahead, over the next five weeks, we will be taking up this idea from the Old Testament to just understand better how it is that this all-powerful God who knows all, who's created our world, so he is different from all of us, how he has made himself known and entered into a relationship and invites you this morning to participate in his work and in what he's doing. That is pretty amazing. And that's not only what Christianity is about, we gain access to what God is doing through his covenants and how he relates to his people. And so this morning, we're going to look at this in three points. In this brief sermon, I'm going to try to hit all of this in three points. Uh, the call to follow, the response of faith, and the covenant promise. So call to follow, response of faith, and covenant promise. In verse 1, we get this sense that after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And, and anytime you see something in scripture where it says like after these things or therefore, and that's the beginning of a chapter, you should just know that it may be valuable to go back and read the stuff that's come before that. And that context, I think, is helpful to understand that in Genesis chapter 12, we are introduced to Abram where God makes a call to Abram. He calls out to him and says, I want you to follow me. I want you to get up. I have a land for you, and I want you to follow and so Abram responds to this call in faith, and he rescues uh, Lot in Genesis 14. And here in Genesis 15, after we've had this action sequence, we get to sense that Abram is a bit uncertain about all that is going to happen. And so the context of Genesis 15 and the starting point is that Abram's been called to follow God and that God himself has reached out and called him and that Abram has responded in faith. And he is trusting that God will be faithful, but he's still a little bit afraid. He's still scared. He still doesn't know how is all of this going to work out. God, you've promised, you said, leave all that I have and that you have a land for me, but I don't quite see exactly how these pieces are coming together. And whether it's that or uh, the political pressure that's now going to come to bear after the battle that he's had in Genesis 14 or a combination of all those things, God shows up to Abram in a vision and says, fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Now, what's interesting is Abram, this uh, almost uh, father figure in Genesis, and uh, for all that follows in the book of Genesis and God's redemptive story, he has some reservations. Abram's faith involved still some questions and some wrestling with what God was telling him. And I think this is important for us to note that Abram's response of faith was not 100% absolute certainty no matter what. It feels a lot more real. Abram's response in faith was real faith, but faith that still uh, raised questions faith that still had struggle to it. And so you see this in verse two, Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me 
for I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Abram is saying, God, how can I think about the future and what your promises hold if it is impossible for me to see this working out? In the ancient Near Eastern world, having a family and particularly having a male heir was a significant part of how you maintained uh, an identity and wealth and land. This was just part of how things came together. And so what you should read here when Abram's saying, I don't really have uh, my own kids. I don't have an heir. This is Abram effectively saying, God, I don't understand or see just how you're going to make good on your promises. And so while we in the 21st century, uh, things aren't set up the same for us in terms of securing land or securing inheritance, for sure, it's not new to us that when God makes promises in scripture that we can't always see exactly how this is going to play out. That's not uh, the unique circumstances around that are unique to the ancient Near Eastern world in Abram. But the underlying questions, the wrestling, uh, that's not bound by any culture or time. And the Lord responds and says, this man will not be your heir. Your very son will be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven, the number of stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to them, said to him, so shall your offspring be. And in verse 6, Abram believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Abram can't see how things are going to work out. God says, no, Abram, I, I recognize this dynamic at play in your world right now. Let me take you outside and show you the stars and reiterate my promise to you that I am going to provide. And there, Abram is met with a call to faith, and he has to respond In his response, he turns in faith. He trusts God. He recognizes that I don't see exactly how this is working out, but when met with the question of where am I going to place my faith, he places it in the promise of God. And God counts it as righteousness. And so in this call to follow in chapter 12, we get Abram's response both in chapter 12, but then here in chapter 15, a response of faith. And in verses 7 through 21, we get a sense of God's covenant promise working out. The conversation continues. After Abram's response in faith, uh, he says, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur, of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. And then Abram says again, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And so I just want to make a quick note for for you and I, and even for you kids who are present today. There is this interesting interaction where oftentimes uh, Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness, that that gets a lot of play, both in the New Testament from the Apostle Paul, and you can read later in Romans and Galatians, but also throughout church history. But 
Here's a dynamic that I want you to see that plays out in Genesis 15. It said, Abram's faith, while counted to him as righteousness, didn't mean that he didn't struggle or that he didn't ask questions. And there can be a danger in some Christian communities, and even in our community, if we're not aware, that uh, we can look so put together, we can have our faith and theology so worked out that we don't provide much room for questions, that we don't allow people to express doubts or to say, I don't exactly see how this is working out. And so I think Genesis 15 is instructive not only to give us a sense that our response to God's promises and faith is good and important, but to create room for people in our community to ask questions and to work through stuff and to not have to say, I have it all together and I know exactly how this is working out and there's no dissent or no ability to interact or to interrogate or to ask questions of that. Kids, sometimes you are the best at this. You ask questions about faith. When something doesn't work out to your head, you, uh, you don't feel always the same pressures that adults do in a community. And so kids, I want you to hear that is an important part that you play in our own community is to continue to ask those questions, not just to mom or dad or your guardian, but also to Pastor Joel and especially to Pastor Dan. So kids, I would encourage you to find Pastor Dan or one of the elders, whether it's Eric or Peter or Adam, uh, they have the time to give to you to ask all of your hardest questions to them and they delight in it. Not, Not because they always have the answers, but because they recognize just what our faith in action looks like. And it doesn't look like having everything all figured out. It looks like each day Each Sunday, particularly, hearing God's promises to us put out for us to hear, for us to think through, for us to consider, and a call for us to respond in faith, even if that comes with it, questions. Finally, as an application, I'll just say, maybe you have uh, been uh, a Christian for much of your life. Maybe this is just something that you've grown up with then maybe you especially need to hear that just because you had things you thought worked out in a particular way and you used to see how all the pieces fit together, life has a way of undoing those pieces. Life has a way of taking turns, so to speak, that you don't always see and you don't catch that turn sign until the very last minute. And you find yourself turning the wheel and just try to hold on and say, wow, I, I don't know exactly how this is going to work out. That's true of our Christian faith. And so even if you have been around church or would say, I'm a Christian my whole life, that doesn't immunize you or it doesn't uh, make you exempt from wrestling through because life and the events of life and our own circumstances and our own uh, reality have a way of pressing in on us much like they did to Abram. Okay. In verses 9 through 11 and in 17, we get this vivid and active picture of God's covenant promise to Abraham or to Abram and how they are entering into this. In verse 9, he said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And Abram brought him all these cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. 
And then in verse 17, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying to your offspring, I give this land. This is a very old ceremony where two parties would enter into a covenant promise together. Now, I really appreciate technology, but one thing that I don't get with all of the large technology groups is their, uh, their uh, terms of agreement to use their stuff. It feels like it's printed in four-point font. It feels like a bunch of lawyers in a room said, how can we make this sound? And no offense to lawyers. If you're a lawyer, I'm not trying to attack you personally or your profession. But it feels like a lot of people got together and said, how can we cover every possible base for the company here, but also make this very difficult for any layperson to understand me? Uh, so when I want to use their stuff, I find myself swiping with my finger like, uh, like six times to get to the bottom. Uh, and uh, I find find it pretty difficult to actually read and take in. These user agreements pop up and you have to click on them to participate even if you don't quite understand. In Genesis 15, God is giving a user agreement, so to speak, a, a covenant promise, but it is the exact opposite of the four-point font. It is the exact opposite of saying, here's what is involved here. While as disturbing as it may be to collect different animals and to separate them, to uh, take them into parts and to spread them out and then to walk through them. This was the ancient Near Eastern way to say this is serious, sober business that we are entering into. Life and death is on the line. And so oftentimes what can get covered over in small or difficult to discern user agreements here becomes this vivid display of the seriousness and soberness of God's covenant promises. And what's interesting is while Abram does the setup, he goes and gets the animals in accordance with the practice of the ancient Near Eastern world, as well as with what God's directing him to do, Abram then falls asleep. And it is a flaming pot and a torch that pass through. Now, for some, this is the ratifying of the covenant. It means here's the people who are involved. The flaming pot and torch represent God. And then Abram is the other party in all of Abram's descendants. And so in this covenant promise that God has called him and Abram's responded in faith, that God will give him land and descendants and that he will be his God and they will be his people, that with all of that, this is serious business on the line. Some Old Testament scholars would say there's even more to it than that. That when you walk through the two, uh, or when you walk through the multiple animals that had been halved, that uh, part of the walking through was a recognizing this is what's on the line for me if I fail to make good on my part of the covenant. And so I think it's worth unpacking this vivid covenant ratification for us in Genesis 17, not because it's just some ancient practice, but because of the reality of God walking through the pieces himself. God is saying, I am going to make good on my covenant promises to you, Abram, and the cost of that is on me. 
And so while Abram does the setup, it is God himself who walks through and says, I will bear the cost for making good on my covenant promises. While here in Genesis 15, it is a flaming pot and a torch. It's not hard to see how God thousands of years down the road follows up on his covenant promises to Abram when he takes on humanity and goes to the cross for us. That shedding of blood, that serious and sober picture of God's redemption is God himself making good on his covenant promises. So how is it that God, who is all-powerful and good and all-knowing and perfect and holy, can enter into relationships with us when we just turn and respond in faith? God's answer is, I will provide. It is through my grace and my action to you that invites you in to participate. And so in Abram, we see a model of this working through God's covenant promises, God uh, promising to make good on what he has promised, and the call for us here, Abram, to respond in faith. This, I hope, serves as a model for us. When we wrestle through our own questions, it is God who meets us there and promises to make good on what he said he would do. When we wrestle through our own struggles with sin or our, our difficulties in relationships or just uh, how the world around us is going to work out, God speaks to us this morning and says, I have demonstrated that I am willing to walk through the halved animals. Moreover, I'm willing to take on humanity. Moreover, I'm willing to go to the cross and face judgment for you. And our call to respond to Christ's death and his resurrection is one of faith. To meet us in the midst of our own doubts or struggles, particularly when we don't see how God's covenant promises are going to work out in our lives because we're going through real stuff. It's in those moments that God calls to us through his covenant promises and says, I am faithful. I will make good on my word. And if you want a demonstration of that, you can look back to see what Jesus has accomplished for us. That is our hope as a church community as we move forward. And that is a part of what brings us together is to remind and reorient ourselves in the midst of our struggles or doubts as uh, our neighbors wrestle through these things for us to not say we have it all figured out, but that we have faith that God will make good on his promises to us. And in fact, has demonstrated, has guaranteed that reality through Jesus Christ, his son, and through the pouring out of his spirit on his people. That's the Christian hope in response to God's covenant promises. Let me pray. Gotta ask that you will be with us as a community. And that as we uh, sing, as we pray, 
as we wrestle through life, as we confess our sin, as we hear from your word and how you have called not only Abram, but all people to respond in faith. God, I pray that you'll give us strength to do that, that you will give us peace in the midst of our anxieties or struggles to trust, that even when we don't see how all the pieces fit together, that you are good and that you are faithful to your word. In Jesus' name, amen.